We read now in God's Word in the book of Genesis, the very first chapter in the Bible, Genesis 1, beginning in verse 20, and we'll read to verse 31. And then we will also read portions of Psalm 139. Genesis 1, beginning in verse 20. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beasts of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat." And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Amen. And now we also open in Psalm 139. I'll be reading verses 1 through 17 of this Psalm. 139, verse 1. O Lord, Thou hast stretched me, searched me, and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. 
For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the earth, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect and in thy books all my members were written which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Amen. May God bless the reading of his own word. And now we come before... Amen. Dear congregation, as you know, um, this is the Sanctity of Life Sunday, the Sunday of the year that was set apart for us to remember the sad reality that in our country, now 50 years ago, the law was enacted, the Supreme Court decision of Roe versus Wade, where abortion could not be denied in the whole country. And it is, it is still something we are trying to to wrap our minds around and to fully be grateful for the reality that that law was reversed. And this is the first Sanctity of Life Sunday, which would be the 50th. It is the 50th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, but we stand where there is no longer Roe versus Wade active. And so it is a matter of great thanksgiving. And yet we we understand, um, as I mentioned in, in my prayer, that does not mean that there is no more abortion in America. And there are states that because of the reversal, they are doing all they can to secure the rights of abortion. And so the battle continues and the need for prayer only intensifies, but we can be very grateful. We see that the Lord is working. We see that the Lord is good. And in this sermon, what we hope to do is ask the question, what what is the value of human life? The danger that many of us, 
maybe even most of us have lived um, in a country where abortion has been legal um, for all of your existence and you, you'll never remember a day in which it wasn't and, and this is a new thing. And, and because it's so pervasive and, and the whole reason it can happen is because in the minds of people who, who are instigating and promoting it, they do not see the value in life as God's word declares that there is. Um, when we speak of value of life, it is the key thing that can win every debate. There won't be debates. If a doctor sees there's value in that life, he won't perform an abortion. If a mother or father knows there's value in that life, they won't seek that as an option. So what is the value of life? Who is it that determines it? And so our theme before us is the image of God and the value of life. To understand the value of life, we do go back to God and we go back to the reality that He created us in His image and His likeness. And so I, I want to read um, Genesis one twenty-seven again. And then I'll also read a verse from Psalm 139. In Genesis 1, verse 27, we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And it is in verse 26 that we read, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's what God said. That's what God did. And then in Psalm 139, verse 16, we read, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. There's something very special about this verse that we will see in, in the course of of our sermon. So in this message we will be looking at these four points. First, divine authority. We will see that the value of life is a question of divine belonging. It is a question of divine love. And then we will look at the element of divine value. Because God is the one who fixes the value in every human life, there's a sacredness to every human life. Well, first of all, a question of divine authority. When, God, when we read in God's word, God said, let us make man in our image. There are really two things that are before us. When we want to settle the, the question of value, we do go to the image of God. That is what establishes our value before God and and the value that you should have before me and we all should have before one another is that we bear the image of God. The value of each human being is not based on where you were born. It is not based on one's nationality. It is not based on your ability or your industry or your social status or your academics. In the world's view, it does. To excel academically heightens your value. If, if only in your own eyes, 
That's in the minds of the worldview of today. If you attain a certain social status, that heightens your value. There are countries in the East that still lives under the whole caste system where they literally, truly believe that one person is more important than another. And it is based on where they were born and to what family. But God's word makes it clear that our value is not based on anything fundamentally human or or even earthly or any ability of the human force or the intellect or human accomplishment. In fact, it doesn't originate in absolutely nothing that comes from man, from humans. Our value is not a matter of someone else's choice or determination. As if others could determine or establish the value of one's life. Or even if it is a life. Or if it is a person. Or a human being. I was reading an article in which someone was speaking of, well, I can consider that a human, but not a human being. When not born and who gives the authority for that person to even make that distinction you see what's what's what happens in people's mind is that they believe they have the authority to establish things that are actually divine and sacred these are the kinds of the debates that scientists and philosophers and policymakers are making when they try to decide when life begins or when a group of cells that they call it is a human or is a person. They believe they can rise to the prominent position of establishing if someone else's life is worthy to exist or continue existing. No, our value is based upon the image of God that every single human bears. But see, our point here is divine authority. And what are, what are we doing? We're going one step behind. We're going one step behind grammatically and we're going one step behind even theologically. Because we read in verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. In verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So the image of God establishes our value that we bear the imprint, we bear the likeness of our Creator, but take a step back, and it is God who establishes that. This is the authority that I'm speaking of. The value that every human has is not only that they bear the image of God, but it was with with God's divine and absolute and perfect and righteous authority that He passed on to us His image. That's the step back that I'm taking. It's just pausing to understand that you and I have the image of God because God made it to be so. It came from His heart. It came from His mind. It was His determination. It was His plan. 
when he established humanity, that of all the creatures he would create, we read, we read from those, and the fowls in the air, and those in the seas, and the beasts of the fields, and, and those are the ones with, with life that are animate, and, and, and then you have the plant kingdom, and all of this is life, but of human life, in God's authority, he established that you and I would bear his image. So it's a transcendent authority. It is a holy authority. It is a pure authority. It is an undefiled authority. And why am I bringing the reality of authority? Because authority is necessary even to understand the worth. The world understands this. And since they want to establish the worth, so that their consciences are alleviated when they establish that someone is not worthy to live, so they take that life. What do they use? They use authority. They use the law. When we say 40 years, we're speaking of 39 years that this country had a law. See, that's authority. And, and that authority is a false authority because the world does not have the authority to decree when a life should be taken or not. But they understand they need authority because they're dealing with something that is transcendent. So they use the authority of science and they use the authority of philosophy. They use the authority of law. But we're speaking of God's authority. And no one can usurp it. No one can steal it. And when you do, you suffer the consequences. Let, let's see what the consequences are. Well, with the authority that God has in giving us His image, what does that mean? What flows out of that image? In our second point, we're going to see what that image is in a very precise way. Three words that God's word gives us that spells out what the image of God in us is. But before we, we see those words, we're going to have three words here, mainly from a quote that J.I. Packer gives where he's looking at theology in general. And he brings these three things, these three blessings or three graces that flow out of the reality that you and I bear God's image. Let's look what these three words are. He says, The image of God in which man was and is made has been various explained in detail. Although scholars may differ on the nuances of the phrase, there is general agreement that it has to do with dignity, destiny, and freedom. He explains each very briefly. The assertion that man is made in God's image shows each man his true dignity and worth. As God's image bearer, he merits infinite respect. God's claims on us must be taken with total seriousness. No human being should ever be thought of as a simple cog in a machine. That was the saying, in essence, of deism. Or mere means to an end. Secondly, the assertion points also to each man's true destiny. What does he mean by that? Our maker so designed us that our nature finds final satisfaction and fulfillment only in a relationship of responsive God-likeness. 
which means precisely that state of correspondence between our acts and God's will, which we call obedience. So as you and I obey, we're more like God, and that is our true destiny. Our true destiny is to imitate the God whose image we bear. You think of how that speaks of purpose, how that speaks of meaning and direction. In what direction should I live in my life? In the direction of God. He whose image I bear, I must seek to be like. And then the freedom. He says also the assertion confirms the genuineness of each man's freedom. Experience tells us that we are free in the sense that we make real choices between alternatives and could have chosen differently. And theology agrees. Self-determining freedom of choice is what sets God and His rational creatures apart from, say, birds and bees as moral beings. We're not speaking here of of free will and that man has the capacity of of becoming a Christian, but just a simple reality of freedom where even, even the reality that as you're If you're not a saved person, but you are hearing the gospel, God will work in your heart to desire, and you will make a choice. You will say, I want to believe. See, He doesn't force you to believe. But then you do choose to believe. Because God gives you, yes, the grace to do it. But there's a freedom it's in that sense. And in that freedom, of course, we sadly choose things that we ought not to choose. But there's freedom. Dignity, destiny, and freedom. Our dignity is due to the God whose image we bear. Our destiny is to return to the God whose image we bear. Our freedom is in order to return freely to the God whose image we bear. Not coerced but willingly. That's how He saves all His people. They all come to Him willingly. We come because we would rather die than not come. He changed our hearts, and with that new heart, we come willingly. And it's here that we see where everything breaks through. In regard to these three blessings, dignity, destiny and freedom we see the great atrocity of abortion someone's dignity is disregarded someone's destiny is destroyed someone's freedom is usurped and how how is society able to completely disregard disregard the dignity of a human in the womb, the the destiny of that human and the freedom. In the whole debate of choice, you never hear the pro-choice movement speak of the choice of that human who is in the womb. How do they do it? It's through authority, like we said. The authority of a parent or the authority of a counselor or of a doctor or even the authority of Allah. And so the world, with its man-made authority, it's, it's all built, it is all made up, and it is all false. It is not true. It is not divine authority. But they need authority. 
They use the law. They use science. They use research. They use peer pressure. They use intimidation. All for the sake of having a false authority. And then they can have their own sense of dignity and destiny and freedom. But see, the problem that happens is it takes it away from everybody. Not just from the unborn. Because there's no dignity in murder. There's no destiny in disobedience. And instead of freedom, there's only slavery. See, everybody involved in that whole ritual of abortion is a slave to sin. They're not free. It's no choice. There's no freedom. The baby has no freedom. The mom doesn't. The nurses, the doctors, they're all enslaved. There's no dignity there. And none of them are fulfilling their destiny to be like God. See, it backfires. It's not just taking it away from one little being. It's everybody. We need to pray that our nation will realize that the very people who speak in regards to these issues, that they would realize they are taking away their own destiny, their own freedoms, and their own dignity. But secondly... Let's look at the question of divine belonging. Divine belonging. See, God having created us, and with His authority, given us His image, whereby we have dignity, destiny, and freedom. We, we, we go back to the whole reality of what does that mean? What does that mean that He made us? Well, if He made us, that, that simply means that we belong to Him. We belong to God. He's our creator. He is our maker. Unbelievers belong to God through creation. And believers belong to God through creation and redemption. You've heard that in other sermons maybe that you've read. I've, I brought this before. The Puritans would speak this way. Christians are twice creatures who belong to God. Because he made us and then he redeemed us. And this really makes it where the sin of a believer has greater intensity and greater sinfulness than the sin of an unbeliever. If you understand this, the unbeliever is sinning against his maker. The the Christian is sinning against his maker and his redeemer. But we belong. Everyone belongs. Not just the Christian. The unbeliever belongs as well. And he must serve the God to whom he belongs. He doesn't really have a choice not to do it. And, and, and this is again that, that brings, we, we hear the rhetoric. One of the big rhetorics is, my body, my choice. But see, it isn't her body, nor should it be her choice. And even for her own good. See, the world is taught to think that in this whole individualistic reality that, that we have freedom, but it's not true. If, if you are your own, then you're alone. But if you belong to God, you are His. And, and what does that mean? And, and, and just I'm going to bring a lot of verses here that, that God's Word makes us so abundantly clear. Look at Isaiah 43, 1. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee. So the whole theme of creation, what does that mean? O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. There's the the double belonging now, creation, redemption. 
I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. See, I'm, not, I'm not just theologically making this up. This is what God says about his own. You are mine. And, and see, because you belong to God, then you do not need to be afraid. Why, why are there people in this world so afraid and so depressed and so alone? Because they've been taught to think they are their own. But no, they belong to a God who is greater than them, who is glorious, who is loving, who is kind. And so it's for their own good that they would say, no, my body's not my own. I belong to God. My body is His temple. So I will not fear. And God does things to us like, like we do to our children. We think of our little children. They are born. And before they're born, we think of names because they are ours. They belong to us. And we understand Biblically speaking, they are God's, but God gave them to us for a little while to raise them while here on earth. So because they're ours, we we give them names. Well, that's how God does to us, to Israel. Look, Isaiah 45, 4, For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee. That means I named you. And especially was seen where he traded Jacob's name to Israel. It was God saying, Jacob, you're my son. I will give you the name I want. Israel will be your name. So parents, whenever you're going through that, or remember when you went through that, that you were thinking of names for the babies that were about to come, let those be like sermons to your heart. Even as you are doing that for the little baby that is your own, God does that to us because we are his own because we belong to God he gives us things look at Isaiah 45 3 and I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I the Lord which call thee by thy name am the God of Israel why would someone not want to belong to God because that means that he'll give you um the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. Because we are His, He protects us. Isaiah 42, 6, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. Beloved, can, can you see something so lovingly and fatherly here and will hold thine hand and will keep thee? That's what it means to belong to God. It's not restrictive. It is not meaning you don't have freedom. This is where you have true freedom. You belong to the God who created all things. Paul calls the believer the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. See, God owns you. You are His temple. And because we belong to God and we have His image, this is what makes us think then of words that mean the image of God and we will see how they, they are in harmony with belonging to God. If we are to now ask the question, okay, what does it mean to bear God's image? Does it mean, okay, God is spirit, so it means that we have a soul? 
Does it mean, well, God, God is um, a loving God, so does it mean the love that we have? Is that our, the image of God in us? And the words that we know for sure are three of them because of verses in the New Testament, Colossians 3.10 and Ephesians 4.24. Those are the two verses in the New Testament that bring three attributes that would summarize the image of God in every man and woman. And what I understand is that out of these three words, everything else flows. The reality of love, the reality of relationship, even what we talked about, the reality of dignity and the reality of destiny, that we are to be like God and the reality of freedom. It stems out of these three words. So in Colossians 3.10, we have one of them. Um, and have put on the new man. What about the new man? Which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So see, this is a verse that gives us the authority to say that the image of him that created him is knowledge. You see, when you have the new man, you receive this knowledge after the image of him. So one of the attributes of the image of God is knowledge. And then Ephesians 4.24 has the other two. And they and that ye put on the new man, so speaking about the new man again, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. See, after God, after his image, the new man, the new creation, when you're born again, you receive something that is like God. What is it? Righteousness and holiness. So these are the three words. You find them even in certain catechisms and certain confessions of faith in the Westminster Confession of Faith. When it's asked, what is the image of God? It'll say, it is knowledge, holiness, and righteousness. And now think, beloved, what I meant was the harmony, right? When you think of belonging to God, what should someone look like? Shouldn't he look holy? And shouldn't he look righteous? And shouldn't he seem like one who has knowledge, understanding, and therefore wisdom? So belonging to God means all of that. Why would you feel restricted to belong? We belong to a God who is holy. So we bear something of that holiness. To a God who is righteous. So we bear something of that righteousness. And the way you put those two together to separate them, they're very connected, but holiness is, the, is that otherliness and the fact that you, you stand not like the world, but, but separated from the world. And because of that, you want to be righteous. So righteousness becomes the acts and it becomes the actions and the activities. So holiness is in essence the heart and righteousness flows out of that heart. And then knowledge is so connected with all this because it's through knowledge that I even know who God is so that I can be like Him. With, with knowledge, I read the commandments and I find that I'm not that way. So I go to Christ for forgiveness to cleanse me and to, to receive this righteousness that He gives to those who bear His image. So you see how these three attributes are in harmony with belonging. So it's a question of belonging. Divine authority, divine belonging. Let's go to our third point. That what establishes the value of the human life is a question of divine love. 
God could have created only animals, only creatures with no souls. None of the animals had a living soul in the sense of a spirit. He could have created a monochromatic world, one color, or maybe two, moon, but no stars and no galaxies. He could have created only plains and no seas, only the mountains and valleys, but no hills, only two kinds of trees, only three kinds of vegetables, only four kinds of the moon, but no stars and no galaxies. He could have created only plains and no seas, only the mountains and valleys, but no hills, only two kinds of trees, only three kinds of vegetables, only four kinds of animals, no cats and no dogs and no bunnies. He could have chosen to create only the creeping things and nothing in the seas. Or he could have created everything in the sea and nothing in the air. And he could have chosen never to take up that dust out of the ground and breathe into it life and make a living soul. But he chose to create a man and out of that man create a woman. Beloved, The value of life is established in the fact that what you have, your existence, the fact that you're here, you breathe, you're listening to this sermon, you're considering what is being taught. That is a gift from heaven to you. God chose to give us life as a gift with his authority and even though this gift is mine I am his and I want to or else I die do you realize that your value comes from these three things God's authority that you belong to God that you're a gift of God. And God proved His love to us, not just by making us. But this is the astonishing thing. Even as He was taking that dust and breathing the air and giving life to Adam and then making Eve come out of Adam, God knew all the while what Adam and Eve would do and the sin and the fall that would pass on to all humanity. And God the Father had already with the Son covenanted and with the Spirit that in due time, as it says in the volume of the book, Jesus would come and He would take upon Himself our sins and die on the cross. And before Jesus went there, He said, Greater love has no man than this than to give his life for his friends. So he gave us life out of love. And because we forfeited life in the fall, he gave us the life of his son out of love so that we could have life again 
and eternal life at that. And so fourthly and lastly, we go to the question of value. So this is a summary of it all. Divine authority, divine belonging, divine love. That's, that's what our value is based of, uh, on a matter of authority, belonging, and love. But, but what, what is the question of value? What, what is the value of life? Well, it is a question of authority. God created us in His own image. It is a question of belonging. We bear the imprint of our God to whom we belong. It is a question of love. Life is a gift. God is telling us how much we matter to Him. Our our value is not merely a number or a cipher or a thought. We are valuable to Him. He gave us His Son so that we would have life that we had lost. And now we respond to each one of those in kind. To God's authority, well, we respond in honor because we bear His image, we, we, we praise and wonder and worship. <clears throat> the matter of belonging makes us obey. It makes us bow in submission to the one to whom we belong. We, we keep silent and do as He says because we are His. But God's love, how, how do we respond to this? And this is why we see it's important to single this out as a reason for the value in the human soul because the way to respond to God's love is to love Him back. And without this, none of the other two, worship or honor and obedience and service, something would be missing. It wouldn't be true honor. It wouldn't be true obedience if we didn't did it, do it out of love. So we obey God out of love. We honor Him with desire because we're loving Him back. Knowing we have dignity, destiny, and freedom, we freely love Him back. Knowing that we have knowledge and righteousness and holiness, we we use that knowledge so that we can know Him better, and we pattern our righteousness after His, and and we, we thank Him for the righteousness He gives us in justification, and we know that our holiness begins and ends in His, and we do all of this out of love. Now the question is why why does the world not see this? Why, why do we even have to be in a world where there is all this tension? It's been 49 years where the world has been happily living on as if it's the, the most natural thing in the world if you do not desire that life that is in the womb. You can establish the value if it stays or if it goes. How can it be that way? Why does the world not see That as we look into those little eyes that are finding it to be the first little exercise of their tiny body, the burden to have them open because they're seeing the light of day and to meet his mom and dad for the first time, to the surprise of those shouts, it's a boy or it's a girl. 
And then there's all that clinical busyness to make sure that he or she is breathing and having the lungs filled and air and and, and being put into that warm light while the mother is sighing and relieving and thanking and the father is capturing one or 20 photos. Why can't people see that a few minutes before that same little creature was a boy. It was a girl. It did not begin to be one through that magic of birth. But there are men and women in high positions who really demoralize themselves into the debate as to when exactly this happened personhood humanity as if it were a hazy thing to decide because they want their consciences clean with their authority to make their choice But God's word is the authority. Isaiah 44, 2 says, Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. And beloved, the reason I also chose Psalm 139 and read that verse God's word transcends the womb. Your personhood and your value, maybe not the biological life, but your life in terms of the reality that it would come, transcends even the womb. Because we read in Psalm 139.16, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. The reality of the existence of a human being goes even before the womb. You know how the debate is when in the womb that child becomes a human. God's word is saying that child was a human in my blueprint. Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. So see, that baby in the womb was sanctified, but that baby before the womb was a baby that God already knew. It was in the mind and in the heart of God. <coughs> I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So why does the world not see this? Well, of course it is because the world has completely lost track of God and the worldview from God's word. 
It, it is explained through all the philosophies. You've, you've heard them many times. They, they can be quite confusing, but it was with deism in the 1700s. They, they were conveniently able to say, well, let's keep God in terms of our purpose, but let's take God away in terms of our morality. We do whatever we want. God doesn't really care right now, but He made us. Okay, we have a purpose. We have a certain dignity. There, there's something sacred about us, but we can do as we wish. That, of course, brings a lot of heavy consciences still because you could still question what, what, if, what if he does care and so when, when the evolutionary theory entered in the scenery that was the authority that the world needed so that they could both be thinkers and also immoral and try to keep their consciences straight And see, the whole evolutionary theory even provided something in terms of of reason to live. Well, let us just survive. Let us be fit. Let us do the best with what we have. But it is, of course, a mindless worldview because, after all, it does say that we are all animals. And so in the 1800s, that's exactly what humanity began to do. And it's the only thing that explains why as soon as the 1900s began, it ushered forth the First World War. A few years later, the Second World War. The world was living its world view. Until today, it is. It's the only thing that explains mass murders terrorism and genocides and with all the technology and academics there still are wars and rumors of wars and they've been able in their authority to cause a holocaust to go unseen in the millions and trillions surrounding the whole world in the place that should be the safest but God's creation has value God's authority is greater than the law of the land. And it is a blessing to know that you belong to this God. Because as I said at the very beginning, and I mentioned it in my prayer, any soul who was trapped into that mindset and ended up causing the very sin of abortion Beloved, this is what's so precious about the gospel. We can bring the truth of God's word. And with it, we bring the very remedy that every soul needs. That there's cleansing and there's forgiveness and there's pardon. If you or anyone that you know has ever been connected to this sin of abortion, this is the great blessing to know. In Christ, there is forgiveness. There is cleansing. No matter what sin. And you can still have that dignity because it's given. And you can still have that destiny because God forgives. And you have the freedom to live for His honor and glory. There are many people, because they're trapped in sin, they think, I don't have the freedom to go to church and be a Christian. God will never accept me anymore. They, they, they do feel they're a slave to sin. But in the thought, the false thought that God won't receive them, no, God will receive them. God will receive you because He's a merciful God. 
He's a loving Father. And He loves to ascertain His love upon those whose image we bear. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious and glorious God, we thank Thee for having made us. We thank Thee, Lord, for having given us Thy thy very image. We thank Thee, Lord, for the knowledge that we can possess and with this capacity learn more and more about Thee and be holy and be righteous. Lord, forgive us all of our unrighteousness, all of our unholiness, all of our foolishness, Lord. We fight against these very attributes that are part of the image Thou hast given us. We, we know, Lord, that with the fall it's been severely marred, but how we thank Thee, Lord, that with redemption these are renewed. We pray, Lord, that we would be so thankful that Thou hast given us life, that Thou hast given us Thine image, We thank Thee, Lord, for the dignity with which Thou hast created us and that we have because we are Thine. Help us, Lord, to live as those who belong to Thee. Forgive us, Lord, for so often wanting to to usurp that belongingness and seeking to own our own lives. And, Lord, when we do that, we only make it so miserable. We suffer. We repent, Lord. We confess, Lord, every time that we have, as it were, usurped our life back so that we would do as we wish. Lord, we we become slaves to sin. We suffer. We're in misery. It is not pleasurable. And we thank Thee, Lord, for revealing that to us. We thank Thee even for the guilt that comes along with sin because it protects us from going in the direction of sin. And we thank Thee, Lord, for the forgiveness that can be found in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that Thou would cause us to trust that and believe that and never stay away because of fearing if Thou wilt forgive or not. Lord, we thank Thee that there is plenteous of pardon with Thee. And we thank Thee, Lord, again for having reversed Roe versus Wade after 49 years and that we can on this Sunday be thanking Thee for that even though we are so sad that for 49 years it was the law of the land. And we do pray, Lord, that state by state Thou would put it in the hearts of the very lawmakers that they would see they do not have this authority, that life is life, it is a gift God-given, and that Thou would speak to the hearts, Lord, of parents everywhere, of doctors and of nurses, that in whatever way, Lord, that Thou would act in ways to stop this sinful practice. We ask, Lord, that Thou would also lovingly act upon those who have suffered its consequences and now are so distraught that Thou would comfort, Lord, these moms especially, and also the fathers, and that Thou would give them, Lord, with the love of Christ, the forgiveness that they need, and the assurance of forgiveness as they look to Thee. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.